Welcome to the Teach Amazing Podcast. I'm Neil, and in this podcast we're going to introduce you to amazing schools from around the world. So if you're an educator looking for something more, then this is the right podcast for you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, well, my name is Catherine, and I am from rural Oxfordshire, but I spent my teenage years in Singapore, which was life-changing for me. It uh, introduced me to another part of the world, very literally, but also I was enrolled at United World College of Southeast Asia, and that was a very different educational experience to anything I'd ever had before. Um, So that was my background. I came back to the UK for university fell in love with a Vietnamese man and therefore ended up in Vietnam and spent the next 20 odd years in Vietnam and where I founded uh, Green Shoots International School um, with my own kids in mind at the time. Um, but it's, it's grown since then. Fantastic. And could you give us a little in- quick introduction to the school, a taster? Yes. So we opened it the better part of 12 years ago now. And it's in a small town, Hoi An, which is in central Vietnam. It's a UNESCO heritage site town we run the british curriculum and we go at the moment from early years to igcse we're looking to introduce the ib diploma program hopefully in 18 months from now Uh, it's a very values driven school i wanted to recreate the uwc experience as much as possible um, for the families that we serve in central vietnam it grew from a very small homeschooling group and we now have around 100 kids Let's learn more about this Teach Amazing School. So tell us about your school's location. It must be a beautiful place. It is absolutely stunning. And I think that's one of the things that draws people to, to come and join us is I the location. We're, we're right by the beach, um, sandy beaches, tropical sandy beaches. Uh, the nearest town is about 20k up the road. That's Da Nang, which is Vietnam's largest central urban urban metropolis. Right. You've got Hanoi in the north and Saigon in the south, and Da Nang is is the is the urban center of the center of Vietnam. Um, just beautiful. You've got paddy fields surrounding the town. It it itself is a UNESCO heritage town. So really, really lovely. The how how is it to uh, get there? Very easy. There's international flights in and out of Da Nang, um, all over. So a lot of the long haul are into Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh, and then you take a domestic flight to Da Nang. But there are increasingly within Southeast Asia, within North Asia, and pre-COVID also the Middle East, there were direct flights into Da Nang. So those may reopen as well. Right. Wonderful. So it's pretty well connected for for such a Mm -hmm. beautiful location. It is. It is. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, and, and actually where the school is, uh, tell us a little bit about that. So at the moment we're in Hoi An, which is the small town that I, I just mentioned, the historical uh, UNESCO heritage town. We launched, as I said, as a kind of a homeschooling group. So we've basically grown building by building and we've added right. a house here and a house there and a playing field there. And it's it's very higgledy-piggledy and it's it's like a, a maze and it's, fun, it's fantastic for the kids. They love it. Um, but it is better suited to younger children. So we are in the process of moving to another campus, which is midway between Hoi An and Da Nang. And that will be a much larger space with much more sort of dedicated classroom spaces beyond the homeroom classrooms that we have now. We'll have uh, a, a more 
a more upgraded science lab. We'll have DT facilities. We have an art room now. We have a science room now, but they will be improved upon. Uh, we'll have access to the sports facilities that we currently either outsource or we sort of make do in a relatively small space, but we'll have access to much more extensive sports facilities and also be closer to Da Nang, which is for a lot of our families live in Da Nang. Some of our teachers also live in Da Nang. So being somewhere between the two rather than that 30k down the road in Hoi An is going to be helpful. Oh, that, that's really exciting, isn't it? Um, and uh, it must have been uh, quite quite a challenge, quite a road to get there, I guess. It has been, it has. Uh, we've grown, because Hoi An is a fairly small town, um, it's not as if we've built a school in a major city and there are people just waiting to enrol. They need to move to the town and it's, you know, it's taken time for, the, for Hoi An to grow. Um, but it's lovely because it, what, what that means is that's allowed us to grow as a community and as a family. And you really feel that when you come into the school. And although we're all really excited about having more space and bigger spaces, we're going to miss our current campus because it is so friendly. And so it, it's like walking into somebody's home, really. Um, and we will miss that. Right. Wonderful. And yeah, I get that completely. I've, I've uh, been on that journey a couple of times myself in my career and uh it's uh pretty heartbreaking to say goodbye mm. to the old facility it's uh it's like yeah, leaving yeah. leaving your childhood home in many ways uh, it, it does really feel is. like that yeah um and and talk to us a little bit about your school's mission um you know why you're there what you do well we are very focused around our core values and the there are eight of them, but the the core core value is respect. And if you look on our website, you'll see we've also got a lovely mural of this on, on the campus, our tree, and it's our it's our values tree, and the 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 trunk of the tree is respect, and the other values come off that. And we take those values very very seriously, and we integrate them into every aspect of the school's life. Um, so sustainability is is a major one for us. Um, but what we're trying to do through the values and through the integration of those into the life of the school is to nurture children who grow up with a sense of self-awareness and self-confidence combined with humility. So kids who are rounded in all sorts of ways, not just academically challenged and, and high achievers, but children who can grow up to be young adults who are respectful, who are respected um, and who really want to give back i realize how kind of trite that can sound but in a very genuine sense um wanting to 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 contribute to the world and that again i think that comes from my uwc background that's something that i was really lucky to have access to in my teens um and that's very much what we try to focus on at green shoots as well is to integrate that and to build that into children so that they can from a very young age understand what it is to be a rounded generous giving human being that's wonderful and how do you strive to deliver on that you know uh, day by day tell us a little bit about how the school um, manifests that mission it's really in every single part of the school experience so we have our school assemblies will be around our different values we'll have a, a um, four to five week period where we'll focus on one value and everything in the school happens around that value at the time so the assemblies will be the focal point, um, but in the classroom, through uh, the activity, through the, the communication between staff and children, 
everything kind of focuses on that particular value at that time. So the kids really get a full understanding of what it can mean and what the nuance is around it and not just the word. It's not just a, it's not just a word. It's a way of living and it's a, and it's a way of being. So that can be anything from, as I've said, assemblies, but every, we all eat together. So the students and staff eat together and it's like a family meal time, you know, and you you leave the table when you finish your meal and then you go out and you you'll you'll play with your friends when the teachers say a certain area is open and then the teacher may join in the games. It's all incredibly integrated. Um, and it's yeah, it, it's difficult to see where it's not integrated into life for it <laughs> as opposed to where it is, because it's really very organic. Indeed, and I think that's uh, what you were saying is about it growing as a family is, is something really special, isn't it? Because yeah, uh, yeah. the bond between the families, the students and the teachers uh, becomes mm. very special then. Yes, yeah. And I think one of the things that uh, that we tried to do to to encourage that bond is, is it, even in, for example, the way that we use our names. So, for example, the kids know me as Miss Catherine, so I'm not Miss McKinley, which is very formal, but I'm also not just Catherine because Catherine may be their classmate. So we try to, you know, it, it it allows that closeness while also allowing kids to understand a little bit about, you know, there are boundaries in life and there are different types of relationships between different types of people and different aspects of our life and the role we play in relation to different people within our lives. Sure. But yet... You know, I, I'm not the director of the school and the head of school is not Mr. Head of School. He's Mr. Rick. And all the kids know him and they run up to him at the beginning of the school day and they walk in the school gate. And, he, you know, it, it's a lovely, lovely feeling between the kids and the, and the parents and the staff. And you mentioned your role and the head of school's role. How is the school governed? So I set up the school. Um, as I said, it, it started off as a homeschooling group and um, I turned it into something more formalised and official. Um, but I, I don't have an educational background. I wouldn't be the right person to try and lead the school as an educator. And my background is actually in, in Mandarin um, initially and then in public policy. So I kind of came at it from that angle, from the public policy and service provision angle, but I'm not an educator per se. So I very much focus on the strategic um, leadership and, I guess, direction of the school and keeping us on track with those values and with the vision and the mission that that I really wanted to build into Green Shoots. Um, but the the everyday grind, the real hard work... <laughs> Sure. is done um, by Rick, who's our head of school, and by Sue, who's been with us from day one and helped me to found the school. And she's played every role, every role under the sun as the school's grown. But her current role is head of admissions and head of uh, admin. So right. she basically oversees everything, which isn't the, the educational side. Okay, fantastic. And parent involvement in that, uh, uh, that governance? Do you have an advisory group or how does that work? We do have an advisory board, but they're not parents of the school. They're people who know the school and have expertise, which is of use to us. So whether it be we have, um, you know, somebody, an incredibly passionate educator um, who advises, again, it's a, through a UWC link, um, and he advises us on, on thoughts of how we can focus more on our sustainability or, you know, areas, um, safeguarding improvements and all of those kind of things on the on the education side. And then we have other advisors, one who focuses on sustainability particularly, but not necessarily from an educational perspective, and a couple of others who are more focused on the business side to make sure that we keep that 
structure secure so that the education can continue smoothly. Um, but you asked about parents. We have a parent network and the parents are involved. They meet with the head of school. They organize events. They support incoming parents. So they do play a very active role, but not really in governance per se. Okay. And um, you mentioned that your main focus is strategic. What are the current strategic objectives for the school? Obviously, uh, the move to the to the new building uh, is paramount, exactly. I guess. It is, yeah. So we have a strategic plan, which is on our website. And if anyone's interested, you can go and take a look at that. You go to the About Us page and then within that publications and you can download the strategic plan. Right. We have four areas of focus for the next few years of our growth. And three of those are focused on the children and the learning. And they are what we call learn, which obviously is what it says on the box. Sure. Um, thrive, which is about making sure that it is that that well-being side of things, the nurturing, the, the safety, the happiness. And happiness for us is a critical one, having, having the kids happy in school, um, confident, all of those things. And then unite is our third one, which is bringing people together, bringing the schools together, working with the community. So those three strategic objectives are all built upon the root of a fourth, which we call our brace. And that is things like, you know, the financial security and the systems and the and the processes and so on, but also the facilities. So for the moment, as you say, that is our key one because I think we're doing pretty well on the other three, which is right. the most important thing. Okay. So now the, the the focus now right now is on that brace part of our strategy. And in terms of the facility, when are you hoping to move? Um over this coming summer. So we okay. should open the new school year. In the wonderful, wonderful. Um, and and are there any other concrete plans that you have for the school in the next two, three years, uh, over and above that? Yes, linked to that. So there are plans that we've had for some time, but we couldn't act upon in our current space. So the the main one is introducing the IB diploma program, right. which obviously we couldn't we couldn't resource um, as we needed to in our current space. You have to have certain facilities. Um, in order to run that program. So we're currently an IB candidate school and we're working with the IB to go through their accreditation process. And we hope to launch that program in uh, summer 24. So that's our, our big one. Sure. Um, once we're in a larger space, this is probably a few years further down the line, but I'm very keen to then get into kind of short courses and things around sustainability and values-led education and stuff that we can contribute when we have the space to host other Indeed. educators, other students, and so on. Sure, understood. Um, and tell us about the programmes that you currently offer in the school, starting with the early years and going up through to, I guess, uh, 16 is your oldest student right now. It is at the moment, yeah. Right. So actually this year we're not running early years, and, and, and that's to do with the move and, and distances travelled and so on. So we didn't run it this year, but we always have done. We actually opened as a kindergarten Right. And we will be bringing the early years back in. So in early years, it's very much a play-based program. It's fo it's very child-centered. Um, it's focused around following the children's lead. We do use the early years foundation stage framework from the UK, um, which that allows us to have that continuity into key stage one when the right. kids go into primary school. So then in primary school, we use the UK system, key stage one, key stage two, but we also use the international primary curriculum, um, which probably your, your teachers will be aware of. But if you're sure. not, it is, yeah, 
if they're not, then it's yeah. it's a system which is um, focuses on learning through topics rather than through siloed subjects. So we we do the core learning, the English and maths, very much based on the UK key stage one and two, but then we use the IPC primarily for our sciences and our humanities and the art and the drama and, and, and these things come in under those topics for the IPC and we integrate the two. Right. It's sort of and, uh, for people who are listening in, it's a bit like um, the PYP light, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, in some ways. Exactly. Right. It is. Okay. Yeah. So we, we very much like it for that. There's two, re two reasons we chose that over trying to do the IB. One was purely practical because as a small school, it can be really hard to do the IB well. And I yes, didn't want to try and do the IB and do it badly. So it, the staffing requirements and the curriculum development requirements really need a bigger school with a bigger sort of middle management structure in place. And we weren't able to do that. But that said, I love, we all love that that style of learning and the creativity that it allows and the, and the, the curiosity that it develops. So we went for the IPC in order to have that element of learning which the UK curriculum doesn't allow for so well but at the same time we are in Asia we have a lot of Asian parents and they do still like to tick those academic boxes and have a, sure. something that they can clearly track and the IPC because it's linked to the UK curriculum it allows us to do that because we can really clearly track the learning goals at each stage and assess where the kids are against the UK standards so right. it it allows us to cross both Across the bridge in both directions. Sure. Um, sure. And moving into the middle years. So we stick with the UK curriculum there. Um, we work towards Cambridge, which is what we do for the IGCSE program for the last two years. So again, so our key stage three is um, British curriculum based, but we integrate things like global perspectives, which is a, which we <laughs> it's a fantastic course. It is. Um, and, and we we offer global perspectives as one of our IGCSE subjects as well. So there's a clear transition through into the IGCSE program. When the kids get to IGCSE, we have, because again, we're a small school at the moment, we have a set um, group of subjects that we offer. We're not able to offer a differentiation or different, you know, different options for the students at the moment. If they want to take a subject that we don't provide, we will support them to the best of our ability in terms of accessing an online course or a tutor or something, but we can't can't teach it ourselves. But what we do do, we're now at the point preparing for the IB. Um, and anyway, in line with who we are, this is a, something we created two or three years ago, but we call it our global citizenship diploma. Right. And so that is something that runs through parallel to the academic program all the way through the secondary program. And it builds those sort of life skills and so on that will then feed so well into the IB and will maintain that ability for kids to have a rounded education as the academic side of their education gets more and more formulaic, I guess, if you like. And, and let's drill into that a little bit. Uh, uh, what does it look like um, for, for a teacher, but also for a student? The, the diploma programme? Yeah. So we have four areas um, within that, and they are community, environment, sustainability, and life skills. Right. So the, they, again, this gets integrated into the non-academic parts of the school day. They will be looked at in tutor time. They can The kids each have an individual project, which they can take in the direction of something that interests them. 
um, and that will they can choose what from those four areas where they'd like to focus on what they want to do and each year they will have a kind of a year-long project that they'll work on um, but it also will get integrated into other parts of the learning where that's possible into trips and excursions really wherever we're able to bring that in just to guide those kids into into a different way of thinking and into helping them to keep their perspective broad when the curriculum is in many ways trying to narrow them down which is what we know happens in secondary school indeed indeed um and i guess uh being a small school your staff to student ratio is uh is uh great it, it is yes i mean officially our class sizes are tapped at or capped at between 18 and 22 depending on the age of the kids um, it's very rare that we actually fill classes to that number. Our primary and earlier teachers always have a co-teacher alongside them as well. So there's there's a really great ratio. Right. There's and a that's, lot of um, one time. That, well, that's great for the teachers, um, but uh, more challenging for the for the financing side, I guess. Uh, it is, yeah. But it's as a teaching opportunity, it's, it's fantastic. If you think of the schools back in the UK where you've got sort of 30 plus kids in one class and no co-teacher, it's a very completely, different experience. Completely. And tell us a bit about your students, uh, where they come from, who they are, um, the kind of mix that you have in the school. So we've got around 20 nationalities or so out of a student body of 100, which is, I feel is pretty pretty positive we cap um each nationality at around at 20 percent. so okay. at the moment our largest uh understandably our largest student group is vietnamese and they are at around 20 percent. and we have 80 percent of all sorts of different people um some uh, quite a lot of europeans some americans australians um quite a few mixed families with one vietnamese parent and one somebody else sure. um, so a real mishmash of, pe of people Ages from, you know, from, as I say, this year we don't have an early years program, so it's year one to to year to, to sixteen years old IGCSE for this year, but usually it starts late earlier, and pretty soon we hope it's going to end later. Um, the bulk of the kids are primary age at the moment, uh, for a small school. Until we expand our secondary program, most of the kids are primary age. So, and they're lovely. They are absolutely lovely. Sure, they're always <laughs> the best bit. They really are. They really are. It's they're relaxed. They support each other. They play together. They they they, they get it. They are good kids in a small space. They all know each other because there's so few of them. Um, it really does feel like a family, and you feel that when you walk on campus. Uh, the kids know the teachers. The teachers know the kids. The kids know each other. The older kids come and buddy read to the younger kids. It, it's it's just lovely. Wonderful and. How long do they study, these children? Are they um, generally there for a longer period of time or are they uh, people who are moving in and out? Mostly longer. Because we're in a fairly small town, The we have some who the families are on a, maybe a two or three year contract with one of the large resorts or something. But a lot of them either are locally based Vietnamese families. No. or mixed race families who have chosen to live in Hoi An for some reason or sure. expats who've done the same. So maybe they might be digital nomads and they, they've chosen to, to live in Hoi An because it's such a lovely place to live. And their kids will be with us, you know, for, for several years. We've got some kids who are with us now in mid-secondary, years, years seven, eight, nine, who joined us when we opened. And they've been lovely. with us from the beginning, lovely. which is really lovely. Wonderful. And, and what about all of the extracurricular activities? Um, obviously, you're in an amazing location. 
how do you use that uh, for learning or for for expanding your program? That's more with the the trips and the excursions. We definitely get out there as much as we can. So we'll have uh, each teacher will do at least one trip a term. And you, they go out into the paddy fields. They go to the to the beach. We do beach cleanups and that kind of uh, thing as well. We go out in the paddy fields for art trips and into town, the UNESCO centre. Um, there's cultural heritage. There's uh, the, uh, about further south down the coast. There's a a, a cham, which is a minority group in Vietnam, um, rather like the sort of Angkor Wat of Vietnam. It's a lot smaller, but it's the same kind of historical heritage. Okay. That's just down the road from Hoi An. So there's lots of things that you can do as extracurricular it, day trips and perhaps overnight trips that we can do locally. The ECA program per se, we do run an ECA program and that's after sure. school every day for an hour. And that changes from term to term. Um, we do ask teachers to, I think we we run four programs a year or four, four terms a year. Um, and of those, we ask t- teachers to do two. So they'll have one activity every other term, basically. Right. Um, okay. And these, the subjects for those are selected by the kids and by the teachers. Uh, depending on what the kids want and what the teachers can staff. Uh, this year, I had a quick look, and we're doing. We've got everything from football and volleyball through to art, um, chess, uh, Lego, French, and nail art. <laughs> nail art, <laughs> wonderful. It's, it's a real range. Yeah, that's that's the one that must be the most popular one, I guess. It really is. At the yes, it really is. That's in football. Nail art in football. Of you course, football. Football always wins uh, in the end. <laughs> Wonderful. And there's obviously an awful lot to love about your school. Um, and you know you're deeply uh, uh, embedded in it. What are three things? Only three things that you could pull out that that that. Uh, it down. Uh, yeah, that's right. Narrow it down to the three things you really love most about school. I guessing the children number one. Yeah, and 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 the community, so the the children, but beyond that, the whole community, the way it works as a community, and I think because we haven't until now had amazing facilities, the people who have chosen us have not chosen us for the buildings. Sure. They've chosen us because we mean something and because they feel that. So, it it, it that sense of community was on my list. Yes. <laughs> okay, and. Um, Another thing I would say very much is it is the values and the fact that we are so values led. Um, And actually last year, even 2001 now, I forget, I was very honoured because UWC, my UWC in Singapore had an alumni values award that they, they, other alumni put in fellow alumni's names um, to you know, as, as recipients of this award, and um, and I was I was uh, recognised for the implementation of our values Wonderful. at Green Shoots. So that was very exciting. But it does help me to to understand that I think we have achieved that. You sure. know, we are a values led school, and that shows. And I, I find that very important. Um, third one, I think I think I think commitment um, by all parties. We are a small school. It's hard work being part of a small school for everybody. Um, but people stick with it and they, they do it for a reason. And and when I say people, I mean staff, I mean parents. Um, sure. It means something and people are committed to that. And, and, I, and I really value that. Wonderful. And every school needs to improve on its journey. Um, 
where would you like to see your school improve? Not necessarily around facilities. We've talked about that, but other things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the big one at the moment. So obviously that has to be number one, even though we have talked about sure. it. It is a lot will change once we're able to move into a new space because there'll be so much more that we can do. Right, um, indeed. And, and so that that's very exciting. I think in terms of the programme, what I would like to do is have more specialist support, have more, um, whether it's specialist subjects or whether it's EAL, SEN, uh, you know, the different types of of diversity that we can offer to our student body um, that at the moment we're just too small to be able to offer. So it'd be very exciting as we grow to be able to expand into those different areas. Find out about the teachers and the team. So tell us a little bit about your faculty. Uh, how large are they? How many people work in the school? For a school of our size, quite a few, but sure. in the scheme of things, not many. So we have at the moment, um, other than the leadership who I've already told you, we have a dozen expats um, in teaching roles and we have uh, 10 co-teachers working with them. So a faculty of, of 20 plus people for 100 students right. is a fairly substantial faculty, I think. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and you mentioned your leadership team, but could you tell us a little bit more about them, uh, about Rick and Sue? Yeah, so um, as I said, Sue has been with me from day one, and she, her family was part of the homeschooling group that I that we started um, with. She's Australian. She has a teaching background herself. Her passion is early years, um, and that's where she started and where she taught before she came out to Vietnam. Um, she knows everything about green shoots. She is the institutional memory of the school. Um, absolutely passionate about what we do, and because when she and I started it she was the only educator out of the two of us. Sure. So she had to pick up all of those roles <laughs> when I was doing all of the, the business side and the strategy and the, the thinking and the brainstorming. She was doing the very practical, how do we teach children a bit sure. and how do we feed them properly and all of those things. So she's been so heavily involved in so many different aspects of the school that she's her breadth of knowledge is phenomenal. Um, Rick is from the States and has been in school leadership for quite some time he believes now I don't want to age him but <laughs> he's very experienced uh, he joined us in fact during COVID and had to start his tenure at Green Shoots from I think his sister's spare room in the States because he'd gone back for some break and got stuck um, oh. so a, a real baptism of fire with him um, but he, he made an amazing go of it and he was working through American nights to run a school in Vietnam during oh. the Vietnamese school day um, so Really, two very dynamic, um, in my mind, inspirational people who are on the ground. And the teachers? Uh, and I, the teachers are from all over. They're mostly native English speakers. Um, we have a couple of, of uh, native French speakers. Uh, this year, only one, but uh, she is our French teacher. Um, but we've had, yeah, mostly from the UK, the US, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, historically. That's sort of our, our hiring base um not that's not an intentional thing and that's just where the, the applicants tend to come from i think because they have familiarity with the both the program and and the international education circuit um, sure. but we would be very open to hiring from other places we'd love to have a bit more diversity as well indeed and how long do the teachers generally stay Usually, um, our contracts are usually two to three years and many people will sign up for longer uh, we start with that initially 
we have had some teachers stay with us. We, I think our longest at the moment has been with us for nine years. And we've, as I said, only been op- operating for sort of 11 or 12. Sure. Um, and then we do occasionally COVID through things a little bit because people either couldn't travel. And then when they could, they wanted to go home and see and stay with family. So that's throwing the, the statistics a bit. But three plus years would be okay. an average. And and what do your teachers love most about your school? Is it the same as the things you love? I think so, because our hiring process is very focused on getting the right person in the job. True. So, of course, they need to have the right qualifications. And, and legally, we have certain boxes we have to tick in, in accordance with the Vietnamese government. But once we've done that, that's the first set of filters. And then the second filter is, is are they values aligned? And are the people who join us the people who can get the most out of and can give the most to a school like ours? So I think that the two come together. We hire those people and then then they are in line. But yeah, once they arrive, I think they love on a practical level. They love the the creativity that they can put into their teaching, the friendly environment and and perhaps the small class sizes as well, which you've mentioned, which as a teacher is Indeed. a big class, isn't it? Indeed. And if I were to be there and no one else was around, what would they tell me that they didn't like? <laughs> <laughs> I think perhaps because we're a small school, it can be difficult to provide mentoring, um, especially for, for younger and more inexperienced teachers who really need that guidance. We just don't have the bandwidth um, to provide that. And we do have younger teachers join us because they have the energy and the inspiration, but then we struggle to give them the support. So I think for some of the younger teachers, that is difficult. Um, and I think also it you do need to be very flo- flexible and open to change and open to whatever's going to be thrown at you. Because again, in a small school environment, anything might be thrown at sure. you. So if you prefer to work within a fixed structure that kind of, tells you when you wake up in the morning what you're coming to we may not be the right school for you okay. learn what kind of teacher this school is looking for so let's talk a little bit about your ideal candidate to work at your school what kind of teachers are you looking for well as i mentioned they do have to have a certain set of qualifications and that's sure. required for us to be able to get the work permit so they have to have a bachelor's degree in, in education and if they're in secondary it has to be in their field that we're hiring right. them for um if we don't have that then we we can't get them a work permit um beyond that again because we are so small if you've got one or more strings to your bow then then let us know because that's fantastic if you have you know some some SEN or EAL or reading recovery or any of these things that you can do in combination um that's a real plus for us if people have experience in combined teaching roles as well, because we we do, obviously our classroom teachers are a classroom teacher, but at secondary level, we'll have teachers teaching more than one subject usually. Sure. Um, sure. And then we'll combine things like maybe, I mean, last year our PE teacher was also our French teacher. Um, we'll have art and music often a combined role. So a lot of, a lot of that is, that that's something we work for as well, given our size. Um, but I think, more than those practical things is what I was talking about earlier is that that second level of filters and just really if you're going to apply to come and join us at Green Shoots read our website first and make sure that you like what you see because we are what we say on the box and if and if you're not quite sure that you want to be part of that then don't contact us but if you are we'd love to hear from you 
Fantastic. And um, you mentioned sort of uh, flexibility and, and getting getting uh, into things. I guess that's critically important as well for you. It is. It is. And uh, I think there is a sort of a certain, I guess, personality type, people who are looking for something a little bit different, not afraid of a challenge. Um, but you also need to be that that leads it can lead in a in a certain direction of a certain type of personality, which actually isn't necessarily right for a school because you also need to have that that safety and that security and that caring quality and it's quite a difficult balance i mean many people have it but it's not an obvious it's not an obvious thing to to you know to put together in a single person empathy uh collaborate collaboration adaptability energy you need energy <laughs> you won't survive without it um and that willingness to be a lifelong learner and to always be to to just trying to improve what it is that we do um share ideas uh open to new experiences so uh, quite a tough tick list actually when i when i spell it out <laughs> being a teacher is uh is always just a pretty uh tough tick list especially if you want to be mission driven uh uh, and I guess, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's where many of us do the job because it's so uh, engaging uh, and multifaceted. Yeah. And I think for me as a non-educator, that was one of the things that really struck me when I took on this challenge because I did it. I did it with this, you know, in retrospect, probably false sense of confidence that I got from UWC. I can set up a school. I'll do it. You know, that can't be too hard. <laughs> and then reality kicked in. But. For the first time in my life, I was working with educators and the respect that I have for the work that educators do coming in from the outside and setting up an environment within educators within which you can work, but not having that experience and that background myself. It blows my mind. It's it's just phenomenal. Um, I, I have I really have a lot of respect for what you do. <laughs> Learn more about this school's contract. Uh, let's move on now to the contract. Uh, what's the length of your standard contract? For a teaching contract, it's two to three years usually. Right. And how are extensions uh, handled in your school? How does that work? We will ask the, uh, the, the, the teacher usually around October if they're interested to extend for the for the following year and we ask them to get back to us by christmas if if at all possible um if obviously they don't want to then that gives us time to to rehire and fill the place um if they do then then we try to lock that in so that we can plan ahead for the following year right and in terms of probation uh, for first contract holders how does that work is the the school based or or is that um, linked to um regulatory uh uh, conditions in Vietnam. How, how does probation the, appear? There is the the labour code is is pretty strong in Vietnam. Um, it does have a, a a probationary period. I think it's one to two months. But for teaching staff, we actually require four because that's in essence the equivalent of a term. Um, right. That said, it's never been an issue for us. We've never let anybody go, but we do have that as a probationary period. Right, and you mentioned. Um, you know, needing to get a work permit, obviously, uh, and mm -hmm. the qualifications that are required. Are there any other uh, steps that you need to take in order to to get, uh, uh, you know, um, work permits or, or residence mm -hmm. permits? It is 
a slow and arduous and frustrating process in Vietnam. And it's becoming more so, unfortunately. I'm not quite sure why, but the authorities right. are getting more and more difficult about this paperwork. So, you know, if you do get in touch and if we do reach the point of offering you a job, we will then give you a long list of documents that you need to get certified and notarized by your own country and then by the Vietnamese embassy in your country. And if you're bringing a family, you need documentation about them as well. And if you've changed your marital name, you need proof of that. It's a long list and it it is it's the bane of our HR department's existence. It's just horrible to deal with. Um once you've produced that list of documentation, then the process is fairly smooth, but it's it's the problem is getting the necessary documents. Indeed, indeed. Um, so it, it it is it is a complication. But you first get the once you've got all of that. We can then process for you the work permit and after that the residence card, which is the same, usually almost exactly the same time as the work permit. Okay, brilliant. And in terms of the contractual working hours, what what are they uh, for teachers? Um, So we have, uh, well, the working uh, year is 190 days. Mm -hmm. So the school year is 182 and then you've got PD um, allowance on top of that. And in terms of hours, when are the, when are the people expected to turn up for work and and uh, and go home? Um, eight till four. So right. we, that's obviously during term time. We don't have. I know some schools will near us. Some schools have specified work days during the holidays. We don't have that, but we do, of course, assume that you're going to assume and expect that you're going to turn up for the new term ready to teach. Um, sure. So your holiday your holiday schedule is your own to make sure that that happens. Okay. And um, in terms of teaching time, contact time, um, I guess in a small school, uh, you know, you're part of the community, uh, but in terms of preparation time, how how is that uh, dealt with? We do have prep time built into the curriculum or built into the schedule for the day. Uh, I think it's fairly standard um, what you would expect in other international schools. We do take that quite seriously because obviously prep time is important. Um, So it it does vary very slightly from class to class and teacher to teacher because the schedules don't always align beautifully. But what you would expect at a larger school, we would hope that you could expect from us. Okay, fantastic. And in terms of, you know, the negative case that... uh, one or other party wants to terminate the contract. How is that handled? We do have, um, uh, we ask for, it's the same as the extension period, really. The scheduling is the same. So if you, obviously, if you're ending a contract, you just need to let us know that you won't renew. If you want to end a contract early, then we ask for the same. So basically, it's eight months notice. We want you to let us know before Christmas so that we can plan accordingly. Um, now, we we have had some staff members leave with less notice under ex- exceptional circumstances. If there's a family emergency or something, we will do everything we can to support you if a scenario like that arises. But if it's just, I don't want to live here anymore or green shoots isn't for me, or we will expect you to give us adequate time to plan because we are small and it does take a long time to get the paperwork in place for you to join us. So we need to we need to have that mutual commitment in place and and if that's going to change then we need enough time to to be aware of it to prepare the kids to prepare a new replacement and and so on explore the package that this school offers now let's talk money money makes the world go around and uh, even teachers need to uh, to uh, pay their daily uh, daily dues and uh, save for their future um 
Let's talk a little bit about your package. What's included in your package, first of all? Well, the salary, obviously, is the main component. Um, in taxable terms, Vietnam treats all benefits as if they were just income. So we separate them out so that you can identify what we're what we're offering you. But um, it, it all ends up in the same tax basket, unfortunately. Right. In Vietnam, they don't have discounts for these things. Okay. Um, we offer a housing allowance, uh, international health coverage, which is actually a really good program. It covers pre-existing conditions. It has, it. I, I think it's ex-US because that's just too expensive, but it's pretty much global coverage. Um, right. We offer annual home flights. Um, we the, most of those benefits will be just for the staff member, although for the health coverage, we do get um, the company allows us or offers us discounts, which we can pass on if you want to put your family onto that as well. Okay. Um, as well for, for leave, as well as the school holidays, we have up to uh, 10 days of unpaid leave if you have family events that don't fall conveniently in school holiday that you need to get back for. Right. Eight, pays of, eight days of paid sick leave, five days of what we call emergency leave, um, obviously family emergencies. Maternity leave is covered by the social insurance, which we have to contribute on your behalf to the Vietnamese government. It's a, a percentage of salary, and I'm not sure what percentage, but right. it goes up to six months. Um, so you won't bring home a full salary, but you'll get something for six months. Uh, and then we offer up to another six months of unpaid leave if you want to take the full year. Uh, we have paternity leave as well, sadly shorter i wish it was a lot longer but it's again it's under the the vietnamese regulations and it's just a i think five to seven days it's much shorter um for uh young mums or, or families with very small children we have a staff child care program and you can bring your your little one in um from i think two years old up to when they start school or when they when they join our early years program and if you're a if you're a very young mum new mum um we have uh breastfeeding bottle feeding opportunity um for the first i think six months maybe a year that you can take an hour each day and go home uh, with your child so lots of sort of leave opportunities that we try to make work for people wonderful and and let's zoom into a little bit into those so you mentioned um the tax situation how much tax do, do you pay in vietnam so taxes are are um, graded, I guess, is, is, is the case in most countries. Um, ordinarily, for an expat working for us, it will average out at around 20%. Uh, that's personal income tax. We do also have to deduct social insurance. Um, and this is a new deduction for us. We Foreigners didn't used to have to contribute to social insurance. This was only introduced a couple of years ago. Right. And each year, the government is increasing the amount of contribution we have to offer. So <clears throat> at the moment, it's capped per month. You only contribute up to a certain amount, but that amount is less than our monthly salary. So in the future, it will go up. So it's impossible to say exactly the amount of that, but at the moment, it's still fairly low. When we when we bring you in, when we hire you, we will give you a breakdown of what the net and the gross is going to be on your salary and on your benefits. So you right. can see exactly what you're signing up for. And... In terms of savings potential, let's go through that for a moment. Um, as a single teacher, um, you mentioned the housing allowance. What what kind of uh, housing can they expect on on a on your housing allowance? Our housing allowance doesn't yet fully cover the cost of housing. It's it's a right. nod in that direction, and unfortunately, we're not yet in a position to to, to cover that in full. Um, but that said. 
it's not expensive. Housing in Hoi An is not expensive and you can get, you know, a, a decent sized house. A lot of people now, post-COVID, a lot of the foreigners left and there's now quite a lot of houses that have pools and are going for very little money. I don't know whether that'll continue to be the case, sure. um, but at the moment sure. it is. So <clears throat> if you're... And what, what are we talking about in terms of US dollars there, uh, to give me some idea? Um, for a house uh, rental? Yeah. Um, well... Probably three to five hundred dollars a month would get you a nice house. If you want a yep. a villa with a pool, you'd be looking at maybe you'd be looking at a thousand plus probably. But it, it's sure. not really. There are villas with pools, but exactly, exactly. Um, but you can get a, a very decent, livable, large house, comfortable house for three to five hundred dollars a month. Okay, all right, and and. Um, mm. In terms of uh, a single teacher living a normal life, maybe eating local food, is there a, the ability to to save and travel? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And uh, a lot of our single teachers do just that. They they go away for the for the holidays and they they travel or they go home and they explore Southeast Asia. Um, <clears throat> it's very doable, yeah. Right, and um, you know sometimes the the most. Uh, Difficult situation is a is a is a single income teacher with a family. Uh, is it possible yeah. to live in your location uh, on one salary with a family? It is. Um, it, you'd have limited saving ability, probably. You're probably coming more for for the experience of of the time that you spend with us. Again, it tend, depends very much how you live and what expectations you have and where you want to spend your money. It's possible to spend a lot of money. There's a lot of five star resorts that do Sunday buffets sure. for quite a lot of money. But if you don't want to live like that, um, it's it's very doable. I myself was there as a, a single mum with two growing children for a decade, and right. you know we were fine. So fantastic. Yeah. And and um, in terms of uh, uh, education for the kids, do you ha- how do you support uh, uh, families who have children? We do. We have a full subsidy for your first two children. So they, they attend school free of charge. And then for a, a second or a third or fourth child after that, it's um, I believe it's a 30 percent deduction on fees. Um, okay. But that, again, is, is written in our policies. So if we get to that point, we can give you more details on that. Sure. Fantastic. And, um, you know, where do the teachers normally live? Uh, do they live around the school or do they live in the, the town nearby? They live at the moment mostly around the school, but as as we move, we will be probably midway between Danang, the big city, and sure. Hoi An, our current town. Um, so they may increasingly, I think, some, especially younger teachers, may prefer to live in in Danang, where there's a bit more nightlife and <clears throat> more you know, more going on. Um, sure. But either they can, they live in either, and they commute and. Uh, at the moment, it's about a forty-minute drive. Um, by everyone travels by motorbike. People don't have right. cars in Vietnam, or only very <coughs> wealthy people have cars, but most right. expats don't. Um, sure. So it's usually motorbike from Da Nang. It's about a forty-minute drive. But again, once we move to the region between the two cities, twenty to thirty minutes in either direction, probably. Okay, fantastic. And um, is there a pay scale for teachers? Is everyone on the same pay scale? Is it structured and transparent? Absolutely. So we have a um, a, yeah. a pay scale with 10 different levels. And depending on your experience, that's where you'll come in. And the expectation is that each year you'll go up to the next level. It is dependent on performance. But again, there's never been a point at which we have held somebody's pay scale back 
based on performance. Um, but right. it is very transparent. We have uh, a leadership, a middle management, and a teaching faculty um, <clears throat> pay scale. There's not a huge difference between them. Um, everybody has access to the same benefits. So the difference is only in the salary. And you will be given, uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're hired in country, where you've come from, what your nationality is, none of that is relevant. You come, you teach for us, we pay you the same regardless of all of those. Okay, understood. And um, professional growth is obviously important uh, uh, for many teachers. How do you support uh, teachers' professional growth uh, um, with opportunities for development? Primarily it's in-house, and I think more and more schools are doing that again post-COVID, and we've all realised how much you can do without having to fly around the world. Um, so we try to do as much as possible in-house, partly for that reason, but also partly because then we can develop as a team and grow as as a as a faculty rather than individual um right. individual growth we do there there are of course opportunities and occasions where you do have a personalized trajectory for example at the moment because we're working towards the ib we've got some of our teachers doing some very specific ib training so those opportunities are there as well but where we can we try to work as a group in house and take advantage of each other's expertise and and build within that framework Right. And in terms of um, living in Vietnam for teachers, uh, um, is there any sort of, I don't know, cultural uh, restrictions or differences that uh, uh, that uh, teachers need to be aware of? I think, I mean, of course, it does depend where you're coming from and how familiar you are with Southeast Asia and, you know, that sure. all of those things play into it. But I think Vietnam is a, is a very open, very forgiving country generally very friendly um and where we are it's such a hoi an is such a tourist driven town that people are used to foreigners doing funny sure. things and and so there isn't there's nothing of significance that you need to be aware of but i think given our focus on respect as a school and as a community from our perspective we do ask that teachers who join us are respectful You'll often see backpackers on bicycles coming back from the beach in a bikini, and you just think, mm, yeah. "Not really." <laughs> no, indeed, and, and no I think it's really important to say. You, but, yeah, you know, I mean, I've, yeah. I've spent a decade in Oman, and it's a similar situation. Uh, will somebody yeah. stop you? Probably not. Um, but is no. it disrespectful? Yes, it is, and, yes. and for yeah. many people, especially the older generation. Uh, it's uh, particularly challenging, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that's, we ask you to have an awareness, um, but in terms of are the things that are the dangerous things, are the, you know, political political sensitivities, yes, of course there are in a country like Vietnam, but you're not, as a faculty teacher in Hoi An, you're not going to get into politics. So nothing that I think you ne really need to be aware of. Learn more about the recruiting schedule and onboarding process. So let's uh, talk recruiting now. Um, you mentioned that uh, you know you, want, you sort of like to know October through to Christmas. Um, how does that spin out in terms of new teachers who are interested in working with you? Well, we do. Ideally, we will be putting out job ads around that time. Um, well, around the latter half of that time, sort of Christmassy. 
but as a small school and as things change, it's often a bit later. So we keep an eye on our website and we will post ads on the website um, if we're recruiting. As I say, it could be anywhere between Christmas and the spring, really, that you're likely to see ads come up. Right. And and the website's the right place to look? It is. We used to recruit via CIS and COBIS, but um, uh, I think... One certainly doesn't offer that service anymore, anymore no, in the way that it does. CIS doesn't. That's it, yeah. And uh, we we found actually that we we get some really great candidates coming directly to our website. And that being the case, they've obviously looked at us and decided that they find us interesting. You know, So that first hurdle is already crossed. Um, so it's quite rare that we have to go beyond the website. Right. Is, so, so for teachers, um, showing interest is really important. Then, uh, you know, maybe maybe a, a, even before the ads come up, uh, getting in touch uh, is that an effective strategy? We do get a lot of ad hoc um, uh, inquiries, and we have a, a dedicated email. So it's jobs at greenshoots.edu.vn. Um, and if you want to just get in touch and, and ask us if there's anything going, then somebody will get back to you. But the, we are small and we don't have a huge turnover. So likelihood is that we may have one, two or perhaps three jobs a year, but not really going to be much more than that. Um, okay. But when we write, when we find the right person, then it's, it's very exciting. Wonderful. And um, so you've offered me a job. What's the timetable in terms of onboarding? How does that work? Um, you mentioned uh, all the paperwork that needs to be done. Um, obviously, mm. starting early is um, imperative there. Yes. So that's another reason why we try to get these decisions made as early as we can, because it can take several months to gather the necessary documentation. Uh, so we do as, as soon as we like you and you like us and we want to join forces, then we will give you that list and ask you to start working on gathering the do documentation. We want you to be in country by early August and beginning okay. of August. Um, and we have our school year usually starts around mid or mid-August or the sort of third week of August and we have orientation prior to that so we have a full week of orientation for all staff and right. then we have a day or two for new staff in addition to that. Um, and so what does the orientation look like? Um, for well for all staff obviously it's it's as you would expect it's preparation for the school year and everything that entails. Um, for new staff we have this day or two prior to everyone else coming in and that is a combination of getting to know you, social events, um, uh, putting together a buddy system with an existing member of staff who can sort of help you out, uh, help introduce you to people, uh, introduce you to places, um, <clears throat> tours of the medical facilities, the banks, you know, real estate agents, shopping, you know, recreational, all of those things so that you get a feel of, of where you are and what, what the town is put you in touch with real estate agents and help you to find a house um so all of that stuff on the personal level and then on the professional level you'll have a bit of extra time that the, the current staff don't necessarily need things like getting to know our systems and the you know the the it the administration and those sort of things so that when you come into the full orientation with everybody else then you're you're more on track and right. ready to kind of dive in fantastic and and um in terms of relocation, uh, what support do you offer there for, for teachers coming in from, from abroad, say? 
We do have a relocation allowance, a sort of a luggage allowance. It's not substantial. You're not going to be able to bring in a, a shipment. Um, we we can't. We just can't stretch to that. I wish we could, but we can't. Um, but we do have uh, an allowance, and that varies depending how far you're coming. Um, and obviously, you've got the the flights as well. So we'll pay for your inward flight, and then at the end of contract, we'll we'll fly you home again. Right, and that flight is for the employee or for the family? It's for the employee. Um, for faculty level, I, I think at uh, leadership level, we do offer it also to additional family members. Again, I wish we could offer it to everybody when we're when we're bigger. Exactly. We will, but at this stage, we just can't stretch to it yet. Find out how to get a job at this Teach Amazing School. Oh, Catherine, you've convinced me. I want a job. I want to come. Uh, Green Shoots is the right place for me. How do I How do I convince you that I'm the right person? What's the best way about applying for a job and success, successfully getting it? I guess the first point would be to be very clear what job you're applying for and making sure that we're actually hiring for that job. <laughs> and then send us, yes. You'd be, I mean, it is wonderful to get a lot of ad hoc CVs. But we are a very small staff and Sue basically has to go through all of them on her own and then discuss some of them with Rick. And it's and it's very time consuming. And there is only one of her and she <laughs> she wears many hats. Um, so be specific. This is a job you're recruiting for. I'm interested. You know, and give us a CV, but give us also a cover letter that that explains who you are and, and why you're you feel that you're the right fit for us. Uh, in the CV, we would want three references, including your your current or most recent head of school or principal. Um, so those those would be how you would start the process. And you can send those through to us at the jobs at email that right. I mentioned earlier, which, again, is on the website. So you can find all of that. Do you um, have any um, then, age restrictions uh, uh, around uh, employment? We don't. Uh, and there aren't any under the Vietnamese legislation that I'm aware of either. Um, you do stop having to contribute to social insurance after I believe it's 1665 for women and men respectively. Um, right. But they will still, our eldest faculty member at the moment is in her, I think early 60s. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a possible place to come uh, uh, if, uh, if like me, your hair's uh, uh, falling out a little bit, bringing all we, of that wisdom to... and experience with you. Absolutely. But we do balance. We want to have the wisdom and experience, but we also want to have the youth and energy. And we do try to hire at both ends of that scale and in the middle. So we try to keep it wonderful church. And um, you mentioned Sue. Is she the right person to contact uh, through the email address that you shared uh, um, if you have any questions? Yes. I mean, she and Rick will go through things together. Uh, early on in the in the early days, I was fairly heavily involved as well but being the non-educator of the three of us and now also not being in country most of the time uh sue and rick are much better placed than i am to to play a real role in that and and they know exactly who they're looking for and and how to find the right person and and so yes if you if you contact that email address likelihood is it'll sue it'll be sue that gets back to you but possibly rick so what other schools would you recommend You mentioned that uh, you're a small school, Catherine, and, and uh, sometimes the, the the jobs that I want are, are not available. Um, if I can't get a job with you, um, are there schools that you could recommend that, that share the same approach, spirit, or, or ones that you're particularly fond of from your perspective? Uh, 
Yeah, I think for me, I've mentioned a couple of times already the UWC link, and I think that that would be, we're a small school, that's the other end of the scale. There's 18 schools around the world, and many of them are pretty big. Um, so that would be in terms of values alignment and in terms of the the way that education works, I would say, look into the UWC movement and see what's going on there. Um, the other one that that springs to mind, um, and again, was a huge inspiration when when Sue and I first started down this this road with Green Shoots, was the Green School in Bali. Right. Um, and that uh, has been just a single school for, for quite some years, but it, it has recently started to expand and they now have, um, I'm not sure if they've opened yet, but they're, if not open, then soon to open campuses, I believe in New Zealand, South Africa and Mexico. Right. So that's a, it's a, a growing group of schools, very much focused on sustainability um, and, and a lot of the stuff that we look at as well. And as they're a growing group of schools, then they may well be recruiting. So that would be somewhere else that I would suggest you look. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Catherine. It's been a great pleasure to meet you and to learn about your school. And from my perspective, it's certainly a teacher amazing school. Uh, so thank you so much. Well, thank you, Neil. It's been really lovely to talk to you as well. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this visit to this teacher amazing school. Subscribe to the Teach Amazing podcast and join us on our journey exploring amazing schools around the world.